Welcome back to the Hit Refresh podcast. Today is a special episode because not only do we have a mutual friend Pranav with us but also it's our first ever guest episode. Welcome Mr. Oscar Almas Louis. Mr. Oscar is an entrepreneur and business development professional with a passion for the intersection between data, technology and solution based selling. He has also been published in a number of publications on the topics such as personal finance, tax and technology sales and you can find his articles in websites such as medium towards data science and etc so first of all welcome and thanks for joining us today thanks i'm excited to be here firstly yeah so how has the pandemic affected you so how are things going on out there how has the pandemic affected me um well i think it's better to ask how has it not affected us right um so for me it's been it's been a total 360 um so being in the enterprise software industry um i have a really nice opportunity to hear about what's top of mind what is is going on with some of the big brands that we know um yeah. and it's just been crazy across every single industry um something's been going on whether it's staffing shortages or uh, supply chain challenges yeah. um or even when we look at our healthcare customers um right it's it's an unprecedented time yeah. of innovation for them so um professionally i've been doing a lot of thinking about how we can transform our business to better serve these customers and to help them in their disruption um personally it's been like yeah. everyone else right i've been i've been at home i've been trying to keep busy trying to pick up new hobbies and uh you know i it's not lost on me the human toll that this pandemic has but i just try to yeah. look at the best side of it and see how i can grow from it yeah that's really good to hear and yeah and uh, also i would also like to ask like you have been in finance sector and you have uh, so my basically my question is like this so whatever you learn in school uh, is it really uh very helpful or applicable to the place where you work or uh, sometimes we hear people saying that what you study and what you work are you know uh, completely different or that sort of so how, what is your opinion on that yeah so so two things um right so when you go to school you, you don't get a manual for your job because every company is mm-hmm. different every job is slightly different and every industry is different right somebody that does like for me I'm in the technology business somebody could have the exact same job as me in pharmaceuticals and it would be totally different right so your degree is not a manual but what your degree does is it gives you the baseline knowledge so that you can then go on and learn the specific things about your job and your company so without yeah. my education I probably would have really struggled to learn how to do these jobs but don't yeah. think that oh i did this in class today uh that means that's what i'm going to be doing uh, in my job every day for the rest of my life is that answer your question yeah yeah, yeah. that's what i wanted to ask and okay i'd i'd like to stay in the topic for now yeah. uh that you also you came up with your own business uh, called victory socks back in pen so what how did you like what 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 did that teach you apart from what your school or your courses have oh yeah wow um uh, so you guys did your research that's cool yeah so victory socks um 
was something that, so I'll give you a little context. So that was part of an entrepreneurship program that I was a part of where they basically paired us um, with other people that were really interested in developing their entrepreneurship skills. Um, and we basically had a lot of, a very limited time and limited constraints to start a business. So we, we raised money, yeah. uh, we came up with a product, we came up with a value proposition, um, and ultimately we went and we marketed and we sold it. Um, and it was a fascinating experience, unlike anything I've ever done before. Um, so what did it teach me, right? So it taught me that, uh, so number one, right? I'm a big tech guy. Everybody thinks that the next big thing has to be a piece of software, has to be an app, has to be, you know, a website. Um, but that's not actually true, right? There's opportunities for innovation in every single industry. For example, for us, yeah. what was really innovative is our socks were made out of bamboo fiber. Um, bamboo is one of the most eco-friendly fibers in the world, and it actually has a lot of yeah. properties. It's moisture wicking, it's cooling, etc. Right? So. We had an opportunity to innovate there um, and to really have a positive impact on our customers' lives, even though we weren't a technology company per se, right? Yeah. The second thing I learned is that really every business is a tech business because even though we were making socks, if we didn't get the technology right of our e-commerce, our distribution, our cash management, our digital marketing, we weren't going to be successful, yeah. right? So it's like, I, I thought I wasn't going to be in the tech business, but I actually was. Um, yeah. So I think those were the two big things. That's really insightful. I yeah. And uh, so linking it to Piyush's question also that, uh, what do we get to learn another degree that uh, I also have the view, I'm of the view that uh, you also actually get to learn a lot on the go, right? And the, on the job. So yeah. uh, you also get a lot of experience there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, we'll come to the topic of data science because uh, I, I myself, I'm very interested in it, and I'm kind. I aspire to pursue it after college also. And uh, we hear that data science and data analytics are like the buzzwords right now that everyone is blindly going into. I find myself not to be of that part, but. People are usually pursuing that as just because it's uh, you know there's a lot of scope and you'll get you'll get success there. So what is your um, what are your insights on that and what will you say tell uh, people who are like willing to pursue that as a career or just for like learning about it? Sure, sure. So thanks for the question. So the first thing about data science is a lot of people think being a good data scientist is about knowing all of the best techniques, all of the best models, the best programming languages. Um, and while that's true, kind of everybody knows similar techniques, similar tools, right? It, it's not what will really give you your success. Um, the big place where you have an opportunity to stand out in data science is in how you operationalize big data, right? So a lot of times in, in, in business, when we have a data challenge, our challenge is not drawing the insight. Our challenge is mining the data and getting the data to a point where we can actually work on it with the techniques that we know, right? So if you wanna be a yeah. really good data scientist, um, you have to be very good at mining data, cleaning data, and working with unstructured data, right? So 
yeah. my advice is, you know, get really good at sort of the tools and techniques of that side of the house. And then the real, the analytics, the visualization, yeah. all of that, that will come pretty naturally. Um, the second yeah. thing uh, I would say is it, it's all about, you know, there's a lot of people that can get data problems and kind of work on it, try different things, turn it out and come up with a solution. Um, it's very rare that there are data scientists that can come up with a solution to the problem, but also understand their business deeply enough to then apply that to the situation, right? So yeah. when you're a data scientist, you're often doing uh, problems and projects for non-technical people, right? I'm not an engineer. Um, and so yeah. you really stand apart when you can do all the technical stuff, but you can also speak the language of the business person, right? Because when yeah. you can speak to me yeah. like a business person, I'm going to say, oh, I want to work with that guy. That guy speaks my language. I know what he's talking about, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So I guess those are my two big things. Yeah, that's that's great. And while me and Piyush were looking uh, through your medium page, we found that that you, you you had a article of ML using Excel. Yeah, yeah, Is yeah. that why, like, are you like trying to promote that you don't need all those uh, tools like Python or Java or something, you can just do simple, or like, what would you say about that? Because we were, we really found that really interesting because all we had heard is that for ML, you need to have these softwares, programs. And so what, yeah, what do you say about so that? Yeah, everything was on Excel, explained using Excel. I was pretty shocked by that. So doing data science at Excel is pretty foolish. Um, it will never work at scale. I don't recommend it yeah. for anybody. So why did I write that article? Because <laughs> yeah. for, for business people, um, for some reason as business people were obsessed with Excel. Um, it's actually quite fascinating when when you're in a business context you will a lot of times you will work especially as data scientists you'll receive data from people in excel you'll move it over to python or whatever you're going to use or r but then when you do the problem the business person will want it back in excel right they won't want a jupyter notebook they won't want anything like that they'll want it back in excel yeah. right um and yeah. so uh what I'm getting at here is that when you have business people um, that are obsessed with Excel, if you want to educate them, uh, I'm going to lose people if I start going into Python, if I start going to R, if I start going into Java. So that article was a way to teach sort of the concepts of machine learning of a particular algorithm in a tool that everybody was familiar with to make it approachable for them. Um, so no, I, I'm not saying uh, I, I'm not saying we should start doing machine learning in Excel. That would be a, uh, yeah. <laughs> that would be a yeah. step back. But if you're new to it and you want to get your feet wet, you want to understand what's going on, uh, Excel is a really powerful tool to try it out. Yeah, then that's pretty awesome. So, okay, so I'll, I'll Pranav, you, you can go. Yeah, uh, so shifting the topic, shifting the topic to personal finances. So we have actually heard that uh, managing our finances is pretty important. Like if we don't manage finances in our life, personal finances, we can actually end up in a mess. So 
what uh, advice or what suggestions would you give to college students like us to manage our finances and manage the freedom that we get uh, when we go in college uh, with all the money that we get? Yeah. Um, so, so there's a couple of things here, right? So the first thing I'll say is the most important rule of personal finance, if you remember anything, is, is spend less than you make, right? Because when you save, yeah. when you save, that's money that you can invest, that's money that you can grow, and that gives you the freedom to do other things, right? It gives you the freedom to get another degree, to take another job, to maybe try something out for a couple of weeks that doesn't pay a lot, right? So it gives you a lot of freedom. So always spend less than you make. Um, yeah. Now, as college students, you have a very special opportunity here. Why? Because um, in college and in university, pretty much everybody lives um, a frugal lifestyle, right? We have roommates, uh, we're eating from, we're eating microwave meals, we're eating takeout, right? We're going to the cheap bars in town. Um, yeah. And so college is a really, really special opportunity. And even in your 20s to save money because pretty much everybody's in the same boat, right? Once you hit your 30s, yeah. if you're living with a roommate, if you're, you know, if you're driving a really bad car, like then people start to look at you a little funny. People start to say, oh, what, what did that guy do in his life? But when you're 20s, nobody cares, right? So, so I would say use this opportunity, these next sort of 10 years or so, to really save as much as possible. Because then when you hit 30, oh, then you can start to, you know, uh, spend, you can start to, to invest, you can do, do whatever you want, right? Um, the other thing I would yeah. say about personal finance is um, it's very important to understand why you're spending the way you are. Um, so we're all surrounded by marketing 24 hours a day and marketing is ultimately designed to separate us from our money, right? Whether it's good for us or not. Um, so you really need to think about whether you're making purchases for you, whether you're actually making a purchase that will improve your life or whether you're just doing something because a marketer told you to, right? A pretty good sign of that is if yeah. you're buying something to impress other people, if you're buying something as part of your image, if you're buying something that you want others to know that you bought, that's probably a sign that you're not buying it for you, right? Now, I'm not somebody that sits here and says, never spend money, you know, you got to eat rice and beans every day. I'm not, I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying if, if we're going to spend money, we, we really want to make sure that it's for us and for what we want and not just because a marketer told us to. Does that help? Yeah. 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 I know. So, so are you pro saving or are you pro investing? Huh. So, or both? They're kind of the same thing, yeah, but, right? So, um, yeah. Why say that? Because in order to invest, you have to save first, right? So, what is investing? Investing is when we take extra money that we have that we don't need to live, and we give it to someone else in the hopes of making a return on that money, right? And whoever we give it to is going to use that for something. If we invest in stocks, well, then the business is using that money to grow their stocks, their company, excuse me. If we invest in bonds, then we're loaning the money to somebody for some project, right? So yeah. you must first save in order to invest. The, you will get to a point where saving more money in cash doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? A lot of people say six months of expenses. 
So your six months of expenses, that's your emergency fund. If your car breaks down, if you have a medical issue, you keep that money in cash. Maybe you keep it under your mattress. Maybe you keep it in a savings account because you want that money to be available to you. Above that six months, that's when you start to look at investments, right? Because ultimately you want to put your extra money somewhere that's going to grow for you. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 That that's great, but okay, wait. So, so uh, yeah. So uh, uh, we also have here a scheme in India as uh, called NPS National Pension Scheme, and uh, people are always saying that uh, you need to look into the future. You also need to look uh, far away, and uh, you need to sort your future. So, would you suggest uh, starting it right now, like uh, investing in funds for your pension that you'll get after the age of sixty or something? Or would you start like uh, uh, saving your money for emergencies or anything like that? Like, what what is your view on pensions, basically? Yeah. So here's my view, right? So the earlier you invest, the better, right? Um, we call that the magic of compounding interest, which basically means the longer your money is invested, the farther your money will go, um, and the more that it will earn, right? A dollar that you invest today is going to be worth far more than a dollar that you invest next month or next year. Um, Now, granted, um, life is unpredictable, right? So you should not be emptying your bank account just to invest. Before you invest, you have to save up a buffer. You have to save up an emergency fund. Maybe it's three months, maybe it's six months. So always save your emergency fund first because you don't want to be in trouble if something happens. Right. So always prioritize your emergency fund. Once you've done your emergency fund, then you want to look at your debt. Right. So if you have debt, it doesn't really make sense to invest because you actually get a guaranteed return from paying off your debt early because you're not paying the interest on that debt. Right. Yeah. So after you've saved your emergency fund, come up with a plan to tackle your debt. And you wanna start with the debt with the highest interest rates and work down to the lowest interest rates. Let's say you don't have any debt or you've paid it off. That's when you absolutely wanna jump into any type of retirement investing, any type of pension schemes. Uh, I don't know the specifics of this particular one, but in general, the earlier you get involved with these things, the more you'll have in your retirement. That's great. And I'm happy you also mentioned the uh, compounding because we were about to get into that. And that uh, we also wanted to make that as a topic in our episode today that we wanted to touch on compounding too. And uh, um, Anuj here is also our co-host. Uh, he had some network issues, so he had joined late. So Anuj, you could ask your question now. Uh, yeah, uh, basically I wanted to ask you that uh, since you bring an entrepreneur and uh, uh, there's a whole bunch of people who work around and uh, as a team together and uh, are required to, you know, uh, bring a project to success or uh, any business for that matter. So uh, how do you ensure uh, that your team uh, uh, stays together and uh, executes uh, the required goal as well, as well as you uh, make personal growth as well? Good question. Um, right. So we could write a whole book about team dynamics. Um, but there's a couple sort of of important principles that you can start using today. 
Um, number one is when you're part of a new team, when you're part of a new project, you have to invest the time up front to get to know each other. Um, what do I mean by that? I mean that you, when you start on a new team, you don't want to immediately jump in and talk about the project or talk about the work. You want to get time to understand, you know, ask people where they grew up, where they're from, what they like to do, what their professional experience is, um, because what that does is that lays a foundation for you to start forming relationships within your team, right? And when you invest the time to do this in the beginning, then when you actually get to the work, it will be a lot easier. Um, so what I like to do is when I'm on a new team, I like to, you know, set up time to go out to dinner with people. Um, I try to set up something sort of informal, something fun, because when people are having fun, when people are eating, they're they're more they're more willing to talk, they're more willing to chat, right? Um, yeah. So that's the first thing, right? Invest the time up front. Um, the next thing is sort of um, understand where everybody's priorities lie. Um, so very oftentimes you can be on a team with people and you all have different goals, different priorities, right? Maybe, you know, say we're on a team together. Maybe my goal is to do a really good job so that I can get promoted. Maybe somebody else's goal is just to get home before five o'clock because they're, they're one year away from retirement, right? So we want to figure out what are what's important to people what are their priorities um and make sure that we're aware of them and that we're aligning them right and yeah. that will influence how you split up the work how you position the project to people and that will allow you to sort of exert some influence um the other thing that i would say is in design thinking we have this approach of yes and um, what does it mean by that? It means that there's no stupid ideas. Um, why? Because somebody, I could say, I could say the dumbest idea you've ever heard, right? But maybe me saying that inspires somebody else to think of a really brilliant idea, right? So we never want to shoot people's ideas down when we're in a team setting. If somebody has an idea that you don't really get, that you don't, you don't think that's a good idea, you always want to say yes and. How about this on top of it to make it a good idea? Because that's when you yeah. unlock sort of the true power of having multiple different minds together. Yeah. Um, so I think those are some big things that we can do. Does that sort of answer your question? Is that helpful? Yeah, actually I was going to ask a follow-up question, like how can you confront the you know clashes between the teammates? But I guess you answered it that uh, whatever the contradictory, contradictory ideas are, you can just say yes and then you can yeah. for each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that, so there's two types of clashes, right? So, so there's the clash of when you don't agree on your ideas, right? And that's where you want to say yes and, and you want to build on each other. Um, but there's also personal clashes, right? A lot of types of class, we go, you know, I think this person at work doesn't like me or this person is bullying me. And maybe they are, right? Maybe they don't like you. So, so what do you do? Um, when you think somebody doesn't like you, the most powerful thing you can say to them is, you know, you know, John, I, I, I can't get, I can't help but get the impression that you and I got off on the wrong foot. Is, is there something that I did? Is there something that I'm doing? If you can let me know, I, I'm so sorry if there's something I did to you. I, I would never mean to do that, right? And 
you're not accusing them. You're, you're not being combative. You're just saying, listen, I, I feel like we got off on the wrong foot. Is there something that I did to you? Is there something that you don't like? Um, and what will happen is when you say this, you will see people completely change because nobody wants to be seen as a bully. Nobody wants to be seen as the unfair person. And they'll immediately say, no, 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 no. You didn't do anything. Like, there's nothing wrong. And you will see that because you said that, that person will go above and beyond to treat you extra well to show you that it's not true. Right? That's 90% of the time, that's what happens. 10% of the time, the person will tell you, yeah, actually, you did this. And then guess what? Now you know what you're doing. So you can apologize and you can change that behavior. And then that person doesn't have a reason to dislike you. Right. Yeah. So I would say whenever you have a class yeah. with somebody, just speak to them, just say to them in private, listen, I can't, I, I feel like we got off on the wrong foot. Listen, is, is there something going on between us that, you know, I, I noticed that you you seem a little stressed, right. And, and you make it about you, right. You make it, what am I doing? What can I do better? Because yeah. who, who can, who can respond badly to that? Right. Yeah, exactly. But okay, so I, I like to stay in the topic. I like to stay on entrepreneurship. And one of my questions is that you've worked in companies like SAP, which are really huge companies. And then you've also been an, uh, an entrepreneur. So what are some qualities that you actually gained in huge companies like that? And what have you applied in your own ventures? Yeah, so the the fastest way to learn is to see how big companies do things. Um, big companies have a lot of uh, resources to try different approaches, to test things, to measure things, and to figure out the best way to get them right. Um, so the easiest way to be successful in business is to be part of a big company that does what you're interested in and see their approaches. Right now, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, oh, if I if I want to create a piece of tax software, I need to work at a tax software company and see how their software works. That, that's not what I'm saying, right? Yeah. What I'm saying is if I want to work in a technology company, I have to see how do other technology companies set up their sales organizations, right? How do other software companies okay. set up their development operations, right? Because that's sort of the industry best practices. And you can really only learn those from seeing how big companies do it. Now, the best way to see how a big company operates is to work there. The second best way is to read about them, right? There are tons and tons of books that people write on how companies like Amazon work, how companies like Walmart work. You can buy the book and you can really learn a lot about how those companies are set up. Um, so really for me, the learnings are to understand sort of how our industry sets up sales organizations and what professionals yeah. in our industry expect, right? So like as an entrepreneur, when you're hiring a salesperson, that salesperson is gonna expect you to have a CRM system. They're gonna expect you to have contacts. Yeah. They're gonna expect you to have some type of outreach platform. And if you don't know that, you won't be able to recruit top talent, right? So when you learn yeah. that, you see what the top talent expects, then you can make sure that your company has that available to them to make them successful. Yeah, that's right. So, and yeah, thank you for that because uh, many people in our age group, like uh, we are, as I said, we are almost about in the second uh, last year of our college and around 
this time is where people actually get ideas and they they like choosing their career path if they want to go into entrepreneurship or do do they want to stick to a job or do they want to go for higher studies so when you were in this age so how did you tackle all that pressure and all that like what was your way of thinking hmm um that's a very good question so Look, so at the end of the day, to get to get far in your career, you're going to need experience, right? Um what I think few people realize is that it is possible to create your own experience. So, if you have a really good idea, if you have something you're really passionate about, go try it out. Why? Because in the best case, you are successful, you start a business, you're able to support yourself from your business, you're able to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. in the worst case you gain very valuable experience that your peers wouldn't have gained in their internships or in their entry level roles right like for me yeah. when i was talking to i'll never forget when i when i started at sap as an intern i showed up to my interview i was talking about yeah like these are some contracts i've negotiated this is what i've sold to other businesses you know this is how i manage my tech stack there was probably no other interns at sap that were were sharing that type of experience and that set me apart. Yeah. So my advice to you to anybody is don't force it, right? Don't force being an entrepreneur. But if you have a good idea, try it out. And in the worst case, if it doesn't work out, use that experience to then get a more senior role at a big company, right? Because yeah. then you're more senior, you stand out, you're very successful at that company. then you learn and maybe you figure out what you did wrong and you try it again in the future right there's nothing wrong with that yeah with you was it clear by like this time because you uh, as we have already mentioned you came up with uh the sock business and you had a, an approach of uh, what do you want to do in life or were you still thinking and still yeah. deciding no i had a So after Victory Socks I a couple of friends we had a company called Numa Media Solutions it was a uh, yeah. digital marketing agency for uh, financial services companies um and that that was another yeah. venture that that wasn't super successful um but what that did for me is it showed me that I have a lot left to learn um and the kind of the approach that I had was um the easiest way to learn is to talk to people that are really experienced that really know what they're talking about and the easiest place to find them is in a big company um so when i first started my career um working for for technology companies i really was just there to learn i was there to get access to hear from the experts to hear the war stories uh and to meet people yeah. um So so really I just came from a place of wanting to learn and I looked at the different opportunities that I had available to me. Now, one thing that I'll say to you is um it's really powerful to be aware of what's around you, right? So I'm very lucky. I I grew up on the East Coast of the United States where there's there's tech companies everywhere, right? There's tech companies everywhere, there's yeah. pharmaceutical companies everywhere. If I lived in San Francisco, it would be even more so. right so going into going this route of getting a job at a big company and learning that worked for me because it's it's fairly simple to do in a place like this where they're everywhere 
right? It, it's a little bit like people tell me they want to be in the entertainment industry. Well, I say, listen, if you want to be in the entertainment industry, you have to move to Los Angeles, you have to move to London, you have to move to Bollywood, right? You, you can't be in the entertainment industry in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, so I would say to you is if you're going to be looking for something, if you're going to try to get experience, try to figure out what your area has a lot of. And your area can mean your geography, but it can also mean your personal network, right? Maybe you know a lot of people that work in a particular industry, or you know a lot of people that work at a special company, right? Figure out what's around you and use that to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah. So, Anuj, Piyush, uh, you guys have any questions? Yeah, I mean, uh, just a, a small question on this. Like, uh, I mean, it's, it's not always like uh, the people are surrounding you are the people like, uh, you know, are from the background that you are familiar with, you know what I mean? Uh, let's say I'm an engineer and I have to do something related to electronics and all. But the people surrounding me are from different uh, branches or different uh, occupations. So how can I uh, really uh, get into that zone that uh, people surrounding me, me will benefit me despite of them being from different occupations? Yeah, so this is a really important question, right? A lot of people... A lot of people say it less nicely than you did, right? A lot of people say, oh, I want to do this, but I don't know anybody that does that, right? Um, so two things, right? First of all, the people that you know always know other people. So the first thing you could do is just ask them, listen, I know that you are, uh, let's just say, a, a, a biomedical engineer, but I'm really looking to get into electrical engineering. Do you know anybody that I should talk to? 90% of the times they'll say, yes, let me introduce you to this person, right? That's the first thing. But if you don't ask, that person is not going to tell you. So you have to ask. That's the first thing. Yeah. The second thing is being able to talk to people of different backgrounds is a huge advantage because you are able to learn the really powerful sort of mental models, best practices and tricks from their fields and figure out how those apply to you. Um, so I would say when you're talking to somebody that doesn't do exactly what you want to do, or maybe they do something totally different, try to figure out how you can use that in your career. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. So when I was in college, I had a lot of friends that were studying art. They were studying either physical art or literature or writing or media. Um, and all the time I would be listening to them and I would think to myself, hmm, how do I use this? And I ended up buying a book that they required in um, a program. It, it's a program for people that want to be writers, totally different than what I do. And the book was called Save the Cat. And I ended up buying it. And it ended up being the most powerful book I've ever read on storytelling. And to this day, every time I'm presenting something at work, every time I'm meeting with a customer, I'm thinking back to save the cat and about sort of the elements of telling a good story. And that enables me to do something that other people in my industry don't know how to do, right? Because when you think about it, chances that another engineer or another business person read a book from a first year writing program is pretty low. So what I'm saying is ask those people if they know somebody that does what you want to do, right? Because that's certainly valuable but also try to discover sort of the tricks of their trade that you can use to set yourself apart from other people. Does that make sense? 
Thank you. That's, we, that's what our, so our podcast is basically for students of our age. So all our questions are a bit inclined to the same. Yeah. And thank you for coming. And before we end the podcast, there's one question which we all want to know because it, we wanted to keep it for the last because it's a bit of a cliched question and everybody asks each other, during, but then we want to know. So first is, which is the best mistake that you have ever made in your life and what has it taught you? And like what did before it happened before and after the said mistake? Hmm. Let me think on that one. That's a good question. Let me think about it. Oh, the best mistake. Um, okay. So I think that the best mistake is so when we first started new media solutions, we, um, we started by selling SEO services, search engine optimization. Um, and so what we would basically do is we had clients that had a website, usually they were e-commerce companies and they would essentially pay us to optimize their websites so that they would show up higher in Google search results because the higher they showed up, um, the more they would sell. Right. Uh, and so it was really exciting. And the way it worked yeah. is we actually entered into a contract with these customers, um, and we would charge them a monthly retainer. And for that monthly retainer, we would do the work for them. Um, so the mistake was this, right? So one of our very first clients, it was a company that sold children's clothes online. Um, and they ended up firing us. Um, and, and I thought to myself, oh, well, why did they fire us, right? It was because um, they weren't happy about our responsiveness, right? They weren't happy. They didn't feel that we were responding to things quickly enough. They didn't feel that we were available when they wanted us to be, um, which is all valid concerns, right? But what was the mistake? The mistake was I did not clarify with that client their expectation of us, right? I didn't know that that client expected us if they called us on a Thursday night, they wanted the answer by Friday morning. I didn't know that. If I had known that, I probably would have done it. So my mistake was not asking them, what are your expectations and not making those expectations clear. Uh, yeah. So I think the biggest learning is this, in your life, in your career, there's always going to be people that expect things of you. Your boss is going to expect yeah. things of you, your teachers, your parents, your, your girlfriends, your boyfriends, right? Everybody's going to expect things of you, but you need to make sure that you communicate to that person and that person communicates to you what their expectations are and whether or not you can meet them. Let's say that client had said to me, listen, if I call you at Friday on midnight, I expect you to answer. I would have said to them, oh, no way, I can't do that. I'll be sleeping, right? But then that client would yeah. have known not to expect that from me, right? So, yeah. so I think the one takeaway I have is you can get so much further in life from being really clear with people about what their expectations are of you, what your expectations are of them, and coming to an agreement about what those are and how you can meet them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, I get, I think we have got a very insightful opinions from you, sir. Really means the, the many things you taught, like uh, means you told, uh, despite of not only about the finance thing you also told us about the importance of communication and how to bridge the gap between the things and how to make things work so i think this was a very you know uh, healthy discussion and from our point of view it was very beneficial yeah great glad to hear it
Yeah, same. Well, like, it was very insightful and uh, we really enjoyed a lot and glad uh, I'm here today. <laughs> On this high note, we'll end the episode at this point. So thank you for joining us. And yeah, see you on the next one. Thank you. Yeah, it was an honor.